podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. And welcome to the Chills. Finally, after the endless weeks of internationals, we got back to it. Proper football. I couldn't wait. And I paid my 14.95, settled in for the afternoon. And what happened left me a nervous wreck by the end of my Saturday. And there is so much to discuss. And to help me digest and probably digress, here he is, the man of quiet opinion, Mr Andy Saunders. Page of fourteen ninety five. <laughs> I did, I did. did I, I don't know. Part of me was in a real dilemma about this because I think it's a lot of money. Um, but then part of me thinks, well, I would be at that game normally, and I would pay to go and see that game. So look, I was, I was always going to watch the game. Um, did I resent the fourteen ninety five? Well, in a way, I kind of did. How did you feel about it? Well, I paid it as well, you know, and and I, I felt a little bit dirty. Uh, I felt I maybe should have been standing in solidarity with those that didn't. But I, it's complicated, isn't it? Because I really, really want to watch the game, and I want to watch the game in the highest quality possible. I want to watch it in HD. You know, I, I've I've used illegal streams hundreds of times in the past to watch, particularly to watch away games that haven't been shown, um, and so I'm well used to it. But what I do find with, with those dodgy streams is you're usually a minute behind and the qualities, you know, can be pretty poor, it can cut out, and it's just an unsatisfying experience. And if somebody's saying to me, here's a HD, here's a HD, you know, quality broadcast with decent sound that's gonna be in real time, then you know, then, you know, I I I decided that I would go for that. I mean it's a complicated situation. I mean on the one hand, you should be saying well, hang on a minute, nobody can go to the game, so the clubs and the broadcasters should agree to show every game, because they record every game anyway, they film every game for international broadcast anyway, it's not like they don't have it, that it costs extra. Most countries around the world have got a smorgasbord of games to choose from, um, so so that's already there, it's a case of whether they're released to the UK uh, viewership. But I suppose the other argument is, well, what you're paying with your Sky or BT prescription you're paying for curated service you're paying for three or four games uh, on a Saturday and the same on a Sunday and potentially one on a Monday night you're not paying for all you can eat anyway so you know there, there are arguments on both sides I tend to come down on that they should just show all the games because they can and they've decided not to and there's a certain amount of greed and venality about that um but but i paid for it so there you go yeah and i I think you sent me the message when i was kind of moaning about it and you said this is definitely not bt's problem or bt's fault this is the premier league isn't it i genuinely believe that because you know bt you know will say well we've got it anyway it's not costing us any more money um we're happy to show all the games um and the premier league apparently sent them a because they're not allowed to set the price um, but they sent them what you know what 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 they called a kind of net and a net price that they wanted to achieve so they said, this is what we want out of it. So you add on top of that what it's going to cost you. Um, but essentially, it was the Premier League that said, we want some income from this or we want some extra income from this. OK, yeah, because I, what I didn't realise was there's been a, 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 a movement. You talked about standing in solidarity with those who weren't watching it. I didn't even know it was an issue. Um, I've... Well, I think it's a choice. I, th- I think it's a choice. I don't. I don't think you can stand there and tell people not to do something. You know, in the same way that you know people would would be up in arms if you told them what to sing at a football match, or or you told them how to behave at a football match. You can't then go and tell people that they can't watch 
a broadcast quality stream of their team. Um, I think it's a personal choice. I, I do understand it. I, I would rather that it was free to anybody that had a subscription to one of those uh, platforms anyway. I mean, I think if, if you ask me, I would say, yeah, of course. Of course we should do that. But I do think it's a choice, an individual choice. If you chose not to, all power to you. And if you chose to, then, like me, then I don't have a problem with that either. Is there a case that actually the money goes directly to your football club in in these situations? Because that's what I was reading at the start. And then that sort of seemed to disappear at the conversation. Because for me... If I'm paying my fourteen ninety five, and in principle that is getting through to my club, I'd be a lot happier about it. Well, I think it's, as I said to you, the club that's asking for it. So, yes, it's going to the club. But what's it going to the club for? To pay, you know, the wages of some overinflated footballer. You know, so, you know, I'm, I'm, never, I'm never particularly happy about money going to the club anyway because it, it just allows this ridiculous situation where footballers are hugely overpaid. And do you not think that actually if they'd done uh, like the Carabao Cup match that we had, you could, you could, they set that up quite nicely online so you could go and watch it and it was like a tenner. Now, I think mentally if something is a tenner or under or 9.95 or whatever – it doesn't feel ridiculously expensive, whereas fourteen ninety five does. I just, I just think the the pricing is all wrong as well. Yeah, well, I think people think I'm already spending a fortune on Sky and BT. I'm already spending that money, you know, and now you're asking me to pay on top for a service that I'm already paying for. I mean, I do get that. I understand that. Um, and yes, I agree. You know, if you're a millionaire club administrator sitting there you're probably going 1495 that's nothing you know i spend that on parking every day it's probably what they're thinking um but for somebody who's struggling at the moment and lots of people are struggling with job security uh and with income because of the current situation that's a, that's a lot of money and that's a lot of money out of the family pot so i think that you know i'm very very sympathetic to it um, and I just think that there needs to be some level of discussion and agreement between the clubs, the broadcasters and the fans as to what, what is a fair situation. Because I don't think it's fair. I mean, the fact that I paid for it do- doesn't mean I think it's fair. No, I, I'd agree with that. I would also say that at fourteen ninety five, the only people they are really trying to get to pay for that are the fans of those two clubs. You know, Mm. there is no way on God's earth that anyone other than Sheffield United or Fulham fans are going to pay £14.95 to to see their teams play. This is just not realistic. Whereas if things were... I don't know, seven ninety five or something. Maybe they get other people watching it. Maybe they get neutral supporters. But this, you go, yeah, you know what? I'll just watch because let's not forget the games have already been cherry picked. So they are, you know, niche games that aren't being covered on the whole. So you're only going to get the fans of the club. So I, I think it's kind of a blinkered way of doing it. And the one thing they say is they're going to reevaluate every few weeks. And, and I think the next one, next time they reevaluate is at the end of the month, because of course, then they'll have to work out what to do with November's games. So it'd be very mm. interesting to see if it's a bit like the, well, the, the Premier League. Rules, the, isn't yeah. It? yeah. I mean, the Premier League haven't covered themselves in glory this week. We had project, what's it called? Project, project something. disaster, big, project, <laughs> big picture. I think it was called, Yeah, which was a, it, well, it seemed, you know, a land grab by the top six to grab more voting power by throwing some cash at the lower league, um, pyramid. Um, and it, something smelt really bad about that. And, you know, and, and f- frankly, they came to their senses and the whole thing's being reevaluated. But, you know, that's the Premier League. They are greedy commercial enterprises. And anybody who thinks otherwise is deluded. I mean, that, that's what they're there for. They're there to make huge amounts of money. And, um, and, and they will protect that in any way they possibly can and grab as much power, money and commercial rights as they possibly can. And any, you know, and anybody that sits there and, and, and does that kind of, well, the money's going to my club are, are a little bit deluded, I think. Um, and, you know, so, so whatever the Premier League do at the moment, I look at, you know, with, with one eyebrow, very fully raised. 
Yeah, but that that was my my point about asking where the fourteen ninety five goes because at Premier League it does feel dirty the way they do things, and and I was as I was saying they will probably have to reevaluate like Project Disaster um, at the end of the month and change their pricing ideas because it's like the handball situation, isn't it? You know, one minute and we'll talk about handball later on, um, but you know, one minute handball is this, then it's that. Things keep changing, and and if if you remember, for so many years, in in effect, like with the laws of the game, things were in place, and that was it. It's really been in the last ten, twelve years that we've seen these changing of rules every season, and something comes in, and something goes out, and you go, oh, but that was, and somebody said, no, that's not like that anymore. It's. I think there's a lot of change going on, and the idea of changing the Premier League from twenty clubs to eighteen. I thought that was ridiculous. I don't know how you felt about it, but... No, it's all ridiculous. Yeah. And just leave it alone. I mean, VAR is a is a UEFA FIFA directive. Nothing to do with the Premier League. You know, they're being directed. And that, I think, when you bring in such disruptive new technology, I can understand a certain amount of evolution and tweaking going on. You know, you're talking about the handball rule. You know, whether if, if, if it hits the arm in the penalty area, it's an automatic handball, all that stuff. You know, I mean, I can understand when you bring in something as radical as that, that you're going going to want to uh, tweak it and evolve it. That That's fine. Um, when it comes to the fundamental rules of the game, or when it comes to the fundamental way that the, the, the game is governed, or the way it's structured, yes, there's always going to be a level of, of, of evolution. You're going to be a, you know, a Luddite if you don't accept that. But I think you're right. I think there's far too much tinkering going on with the fundamentals. Um, because ultimately, football's an easy game. It's a very simple game with simple, understandable rules. Just leave it alone yeah. and I think that this is kind of bled out into the commercial aspects of the game and nobody wants their football club to go bust but the likelihood of a Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, Man United Tottenham going or City going bust is is minimal, it's absolutely minimal these are global brands that will be bought by someone, the problems are in the, the, the lower lower parts of the league that's where the problems are we're already seeing you know clubs going to the wall and i think we're you know we're 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 in a catastrophic situation at the moment if something isn't done and that's where the change needs to come that's where the real radical thinking needs to become not not with the top six they're fine yeah of course it's the lower leagues funnily enough Oh, oh, hello. Is that an important call? Is it our no, that's next I set, that, that's because I set my alarm for, um, for 11am, but you made me do it earlier. <clears throat> okay, that's my fault, everyone. It's your fault, it's, yeah. I'm very... But at least, you know... Sunday morning, this is. This is Sunday morning. It's, it's very early. It's best to get these things out of the way. Um, it, funnily, the one thing I would say, you're talking about VAR there. I think we're all in agreement... We love VAR, especially after the Jordan Henderson uh, goal was disallowed. Um, VAR's my favourite thing today. Um, well, I mean, the thing about VAR, and I, you know, listen, I don't want to have a massive discussion about it because no, you know, I've, 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 I know, I know, and I've already said, you know, to people, uh, stop bitching and moaning about it. It is what it is, you know. And there's no point having these twenty-minute punditry conversations post-game about VAR. It's here. It's not going to go away, and it, you know, it's it's. It, it is what it is, and particularly with offside. Offside is offside. It's the one immutable. You know, if you if it's a millimeter, even if it is an armpit, as people keep saying, it's offside. There's no, there's no right. Of, you know, there's no discussion there. You know, Jurgen Klopp can say ten people told me it wasn't offside. Well, you know, the maths and the graphics say otherwise. You know, if there is a millimeter offside, it's offside. There's no argument, and technology on that behalf is, you know, there's you can't criticise it on that. The ball crossing the line and offside are two things that you can measure. You know, everything else is open to interpretation. That you know, the fouling and the handballs and the penalties and the red cards, that's down to interpretation. But offside and the ball crossing the line are not open to interpretation. No, exactly. I'd, I'd agree with that. There is also, though, uh, a discussion to be had about whether 
they are accurate with their readings, which is another matter completely. But I agree. Well, with it's you. the same argument that people use when they get done for speeding, isn't it? You know, when when people then you know end up in the magistrate's court on a speeding charge, some lawyer will always turn around and go, "I want to check the calibration of the camera to make sure that it's you know that it's one hundred percent accurate." I mean, that's that that old defence for speeding, and it's the same with with uh, well, I'm not sure it's accurate. Well, you know, from what I understand, it's pretty bloody accurate. Yeah, exactly. So the the point is, the only way you can argue the toss with VAR is if they change the intrinsic uh, fundamental rules of offside. Then then yeah. it then VAR will change. But I agree with you. It doesn't matter if a linesman would have said, "Oh no, that was level," because actually, mathematically, with a system that everyone has agreed to, it said. It wasn't. Yes, it was an armpit. Well, okay, then go and rewrite the laws and say it must be the feet or there must I mean, be, I'm you know, whatever. I'm sick of these. I'm yeah. sick of these pundits after the game sitting there going, whatever happened to giving the attacking player the, the advantage? And well, that's not the law, mate. That's yeah. not the law anyway. I mean, you know, you, these idiots, you know, these former footballers who, who live in, you know, past times, who sit there going, well, you know, it's ruining the game. And well, maybe it is. But the fact of the matter is, no point having a 20 minute discussion about whether it's offside or not when, when it is. You know, and, and as I say, the ball crossing the line, technology and offside, they're accurate enough, you know, I think, to turn around and, and, and make a firm decision on it. So, anyway, again, we're having a discussion. I don't want to have a discussion about <laughs> no, it. No, but it's, it's not uh, about going, I feel so robbed with that decision because I'm But, yes, very, very, very funny about Henderson, I have yeah. to say. Very funny indeed. And, you know, from that point of view, good on your VAR. Yeah. Hurrah for VAR. Um, okay, so, well, let's let's move on to that game yesterday against Southampton. Um, I suppose we should start with the team. Um, if you may, what did you think of the team? Well... You know, we have to start with number one, don't we? We have to start with Kepper in goal. Now, we know why Kepper was in goal. It was because Edouard Mendy was injured on international duty. Hopefully, he's not going to be out too long. I heard 10 days or so, so he should be back, hopefully, for maybe not Sevilla uh, in midweek, but possibly uh, our game against Man United. Um, so, he was in goal, and we'll, I'm sure we'll come on and talk at length about him. Um, Do we have and- to? As Piliqueta uh, preferred over Rhys James. Uh, centre-back pairing of Christensen and Zuma. Uh, ben Chilwell uh, at left-back. Uh, and then Jorginho, Kante, uh, Pulisic making a start, which was great to see. Havertz, Mount and Werner. Werner playing down the middle for the first time. Um, and, you know, so you looked at that team and you thought, yeah, OK. All right, I'm, I, th- I think that's OK. A little bit worried about Kepa being in goal. But otherwise, I think that's a pretty solid team. Should have enough to beat Southampton. And we started very well. Yeah, we did. Um, it was a, it, look, we've got off, for, off to another flyer, which we've done quite a lot in the Frank reign. And then it seems to get worse and worse. But I, what, I suppose we've got to start by looking at the, at the defence because that is where everything rests. I'd like to just... A quote from Timo Werner yesterday in his aftermatch interview. He said, in Germany, we have a saying, the defence win titles. Is he right? Of course he's right. All great teams are built on defence. You know, whether it's the Arsenal team of the early 90s or, uh, or, or Mourinho's Chelsea team of 2004-2005. Great defences provide a platform to win games. There's no absolutely no doubt about it. And I think that, yes, you could make an exception for anomalies like Barcelona, who are just, you know, all-out attack. But even their pressing game, even their team pressing game was very, very good. You know, they were very good at getting the ball back. And you could say the same about peak Man City as well. Liverpool only really became a championship contender when they a league contender when they bought Virgil van Dijk and a decent goalkeeper. Uh, And Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robertson came into the team uh, with Gomez. And and they suddenly had a back four that that provided an insurance policy to allow those attacking players to move forward. What we have is really good attacking players and really good flowing football. What we don't have is any solidity at the back. And we will win nothing until that's sorted. Okay, so here's my thought. My thought is 
that Frank Lampard, at this moment in, moment in time, has only one back four he trusts or potentially trusts. And if they're not fit or available, it becomes a lottery. I think, so who's that? I think it's Aspi at the moment, and I'll go on to explain why. Silver, Zuma and Chilwell. We've already seen signs that Silver and Zuma seem to get on. Zuma, I think, is a much better player when he's got someone instructing him, telling him what to do. He will go and fetch, he will go and get stuck in, but he cannot be a leader. He he goes quieter when he's not got someone like a Silver around him. Um, I think Chilwell, well, we've already seen he's got the potential to be a really great left back for us. All potential at the moment. He's only played a couple of games. I think Reese James, once everyone in that back four is settled, and I'm already presuming Kepper is gone, Willie's gone, it'll be Mendy. And if it's not Mendy, we'll go and buy another one because I just can't see. We'll go on to Kepper in a bit. But so I think once everyone is settled, Aspi will drop out and Reese James will come in and become the permanent right back. Um, I think he's concerned about Reese James's defending at the moment and a time on the touchlines and within the squad and he will become a better right back. So Aspi is in there to give the experience, the solidity to bring on the other centre-back partner for Silva and then Chilwell. The problem is, as soon as somebody is injured or not available... He doesn't have anyone he can trust. He obviously has a problem with Rudiger, as we know, no sign of him anywhere. I think, you know, Christensen, he's a classy-looking player, but he goes to sleep. So I don't think he trusts. And when you get Silva not able to play already after a couple of games, we've seen, okay, he made that dreadful mistake, um, but we've seen that he does seem to pull everyone around and he seems to order people about. Nobody does that. Dave can't do it from right back. It's not in his nature particularly. It needs to be a quality centre-back. And Silva seems to be that man probably for this season going into next season while they try and work out how to address it. But that's that's my thought. I, I think we are struggling because Frank is struggling to trust other people. And I think there's also one other thing with <clears throat> Kepper in goal. The defence makes mistakes even more because yeah, they're worried yeah, about yeah. what's happening behind. Yeah, yeah, we've discussed that. I yeah. th- look, I think, I think that um, the problem I've got is that you you've got Silver, who is a stopgap at best. You know, just because of his age, he's he's just not going to be around uh, for a particularly long time because because he is a, a, an aging veteran. Um, although I think you know he's he's proven to be a, as you say a very good steadying influence. As Piliqueta, again, not a young player. Um, but but defensively solid uh, usually, um, although not not peak as P uh, hasn't been for a while. And I think you're probably right about Rhys James transitioning into the permanent right back position. Chilwell, I think, is a given. The problem I have is that I think Zuma. Christensen, Rudiger, we're just treading water with them. They're not the answer. None of them are the answer. None of them are going to be there long term. They're not good enough. They're just not good enough to play in our defence for us to win titles, to win something. So I think it's a major problem and it needs a major rebuild. And that's where all our focus needs to be moving forward. And I think it has been a an oversight, if you like, and possibly even an error not to have focused on that part of the team uh, and instead go out there and buy flair players. And yes, you could probably understand that Havertz and Werner and Zayek could be generational players for us. And if they were available at this time, we should have got them. But the idea that we didn't go out there and buy or try and assemble a back four, I think, I think is you know it's it's staggering really. And there's probably reasons behind it. Maybe those players weren't available or or whatever. But it's staggering that we we have such a wealth of talent up front and such a dearth of talent at the back. I would agree with you absolutely one hundred percent on what you're saying about the centre backs. For me, that's why. Zuma is probably the one out of them. I think Tamori, with coaching, could become a very decent player. But again, possibly. Get, but he hasn't. We, he hasn't. He hasn't done it, has he, Tamori? I mean, yet. you know, everybody. Everybody's. Everybody, I know he's young, and 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 of course we'll give him time in the same way that we'll give Rich James time. But we'll win nothing with. You know, centre-backs that aren't able to play consistently week in, week out. And Tamori's one for the future. So, so where do we, where do we, what do we do? There's a, there's a big hole in the middle of our defence. I agree. And that's why I'm saying 
this for this season i i would i think you're absolutely right whether by by design or by fault whatever we could not get the center back situation sorted in this transfer window silver is great to bring on the youngsters They'll learn from him, but we need him playing as much as possible, which will be interesting to see how he copes at the age of 36. I, that's why I'm saying I think for Frank, out of all of them, for the moment, because Zuma is the only one of those other ones who can actually head the ball, and usually quite decently, that's why he probably gets the nod, and he will do the fetching and carrying under Silver's instruction. But it Maybe. falls, yeah, possibly. But I, I, that's what I'm I, I'm seeing at the moment. That seems to be his decision making. Um, if it's not, if he's not in the next game, then I I would suggest that Frank hasn't got a clue what to do with his defence. I don't think he's got all. a clue what to do with okay. his defence at all. I genuinely don't think he has a clue what to do. I think he's exasperated. I think he needs to have um, you know a goalkeeper he can trust to start with and I think he's got Silver and I think he's got Chilwell the other two I think are open for debate Reese, we know is can be a liability defensively much better as we've discussed in a three than he is in a four although a four is probably a better lineup a four three three is probably a better formation for us offensively moving forward but we're better defensively as a three so it's a real quandary and he's got to figure it out but you know what that's why he's paid millions of pounds that's why he's been given the opportunity to do this that's why he's at the top it's on him he has to make these decisions and figure it out because that's what top managers do i tell you what I, i was thinking about this last night and i think for frank lampard no matter anything else for me this season defines whether he has got what it takes to be a manager anywhere. I think if he doesn't get through this season and get a certain amount of solidity and success with this team, he may never manage again. How long do you give him? Uh, I give him the season. Unless the whole it goes season? Hor- unless it goes horribly wrong. Well, and, let's, let's and, assume it goes horribly wrong. How long do you give him? <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, four, four or five games on the row without winning, no chance of top four, out of the Champions League at the group stages. How long do you give him? I give him till the new year. So Christmas? Yeah, we're just after, because there is no point ever bringing in a new manager for Christmas period. You know, you may be so a dead man So he's got till walking. Christmas to, 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 to demonstrate that the team that has been expensively assembled will play for him, that he's got the tactical nous to kind of shape that team, that he uh, can bring the team with him and show, show some level of progress over that period. Yeah, I mean, I got, I got a message from somebody last night who said, um, I fear that another manager would make this team winners quickly. So I, I think the pressure is on Frank from everybody, probably from himself as well. He knows the culture at Chelsea. He knows everyone's on your side until they're not. Um, what you're saying is that it's the 18th of October today. You're basically saying he's got just over two months or we sack him if he doesn't perform. Well, I'm saying the results have to be pretty disastrous. Personally, I would like to see him stay the whole season, run the whole course, and we'll see. But you will get an indicator of what's going on by Christmas, I would have suggested. And certainly- Well, if you, look at, if you look at Chelsea Twitter yesterday, and you look at... I mean, there's a real disparity between the type of people that, that are calling for Frank's head and the, the type of people that aren't. Uh, and we won't go too much into that because we've been over and over it about, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Um, we have a very disparate global fan base. Um, and I think that's great. You know, the fact that we've got fans in countries all over the world who, you know, make the effort to get up and watch it. I'm certainly not one of those match going fans versus overseas fans. But what I am seeing is a, an awful lot of impatience among a certain type of fan who is a real lean back fan who doesn't really have the legacy and the history of the club who just watches it like they would watch you know any form of entertainment um and i'm just finding it a little bit frustrating the whole kind of frank out thing i think there has to be a time limit um and that time limit has to be based on performance because it's a you know everybody says it's a performance related job um i'm just wondering in two months time whether he can shape this side to the level that people expect well Um, i I fear for him yeah absolutely so what (laughs) 
if I ask you the question you asked me, which is if we have a string of four or five games that we lose, all the things that you said, how long do you give him? Probably the same. Yeah. And, and I, think we, I think we get to the, to the new year. We get to the transfer window in January where, you know, we will be able to buy some defenders, hopefully. You know, even though there'll be no value in the market, you know, there never is in January. Uh, you know, and you say... You know, and it would break my heart. You'd say to another manager, "Go out there and 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 work with this team and make them amazing." Because we know we have an incredible striker. We know we have incredible wingers. We know we have inhabit somebody that that you know could be an incredible midfield player. And we have Mason Mount, who's you know developing all the time. Um, we have players in this team who can win things. We just don't have defenders who can. And it seems a mentality and a sense of game management that will carry us over the line. I mean, we didn't lose yesterday. No, That's but the it felt to like it. <laughs> but it really felt like it. I mean, we might as well have done if you'd have you know, taken the temperature of the mood of Chelsea fans. Um, and certainly my mood afterwards. It felt, it felt like a huge loss, but we didn't lose. And we are, you know, we're currently sitting in sixth. We're, you know, what are we, two points off second? Um, so, you know, it's we're not in a catastrophic situation at the moment, but it doesn't take long for everything to fall apart. If, you know, we've got some difficult games coming up, United Spurs, you know, we've got some really tough games coming up. And if we don't put performances in against those, for want of a better expression, top six teams, we don't put some level of performance to show that we can compete at that level. Then I think questions have to be asked. And don't get me wrong. I'm not Frank out at all, at all. Don't at me on that. I'm not Frank out. I want to give the guy as much time as possible because I think that he is a great man manager. He attracts players. He can talk to players. He speaks their language. He can put his medals on the table. He has all the qualities of a great manager. I'm just... You just need to be aware of the pressure that managing a top six aspirational, ambitious team brings with it. And do you not think that when you look at him in interview, he he, he looks worn already. He he doesn't look, uh, shall we say, carefree anymore. I, I, he looks he looks a bit haggard at the moment. I I think it's well, it's I huge it's, pressure, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and he must have had all these plans while all the players were away on the international break of what he was going to do, how he was going to do it. And, of course, it all goes up in the air immediately the moment Mendy's injured, immediately that Silva um, was in Peru with Brazil and wasn't going to be you know, ready in time for the weekend. It, it all goes wrong for him. Um, and this is another thing. Sometimes you can be a lucky manager. Sometimes you can be an unlucky manager. He needs a little bit of luck to get his... He would say that he's possibly once being able to pick the defence that he really wants to play with, and that's it so far this season. So Yeah, and the international break take. came at a terrible time, and he had injuries, goalkeeper got injured. You know, the, the, he, the luck has not been with him. I think we have to give him some time. I mean, if, yesterday was the first time that he'd been able to play Pulisic, Zayek, Werner and Havertz in the same team. You know, yeah. and, and that was only for 10, 15 minutes at the end of the game. Um, so, you know, we need to see the team that he wants to field in the formation that he wants to play, with the strategy that he wants to impose, and see how he gets on. And at the moment, I think there's been quite a lot of things conspiring against him to prevent that happening. So I think we just need to calm down, uh, take a step back, and be a little bit more um, measured in our in our view of it. Um, but still saying, just because you're Frank Lampard, you don't get a permanent free pass you no. have to deliver you have to show signs of progress i'll take signs of progress i mean look chelsea have lost one of their last nine premier league games after losing four of the seven before that i mean there's an element of progress in that you know and the other thing as well of course southampton have lost just one of their last away premier league games and they're the ultimate away side i know we've talked about home and away and whether there's advantage but you know there's something in that southampton are not a terrible team by by any stretch of the imagination it's no disgrace to get a draw against southampton who you know who, who have played well this season but you know should we have won with a two goal advantage absolutely i mean depressing on all sorts of levels but we have to step back we have to step back and look at this with 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 a measured viewpoint uh, I totally agree with you again. And uh, I would also say that um, we could have ended up losing that game. Another five minutes, and I reckon we could have lost that game. And can you imagine what Stamford Bridge would have been like? The, the atmosphere in that 
we, at, at that stage of the game yesterday, if everyone was there, I don't think it would have been a very pleasant place to be at no. all. No, it wouldn't have been. I mean, I think it would have been joyous after Timo Werner's first two goals. Um, I think you would have seen, you know, you know, a real bounce around the stadium. But to, you know, following the you know silly mistake by Havertz to get caught in possession and concede the, the first goal, the, the awful, you know, combination of play between Zuma and Kepa for the second, and to concede in injury time, you know, to, to, to throw away three points. Um, was was you know was just ludicrous. Yeah. Well, um, and and I think people would have been exasperated. So yes, I mean I think it was it was uh, it was it was very very frustrating all round. Frustrating is the word. But some of the comments I saw on social media last night from you know from people who should know better, uh, I, I just found astonishing to be honest. Okay. Well, look, just before we go to the half time break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about the positives in the game. Um, well, actually, no. There's one other negative to talk about, but uh, we'll get to that in a sec. Are we going to bother even talking about Kepa? Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? Should he have played? Shouldn't he have played? Uh, do you want to go to the break, or do you want to talk about? No, that no, now? no. That's what I'm saying. The one last oh, thing before well, the I break. Well, I think it, I think it needs to be mentioned. Uh, I, I never expected to see Kepper back in a Chelsea shirt, to be honest. And I think he was only there by dint of, of Mendy being injured. I wasn't happy to see him on the uh, uh, you know on the starting team sheet. Uh, he made a, an error kicking the ball straight out as he usually does to a to a player early on in the game, and you thought, well, okay, that doesn't look great. He didn't look great coming for catches. And then I think the the error and I do put it at his door. Zoom, Zuma's play was appalling. You know, his back pass was poor. The fact that he stopped and didn't follow the ball in, I thought Zuma was shocking in that moment. But, you know, for, for, for Kepa not to have saved the situation at that point, I thought was unforgivable as well. And I just don't feel comfortable with him in goal. And uh, he should never play for us again. He's for him as much as anything. I don't think he's happy. I don't think he's at this level. I think he needs to go somewhere else and rebuild his career and his confidence because I just do not think that he has any kind of future with us at all. Uh, well, strong words, uh, and I'd say I I have to agree. I, I don't like doing it, but I think we bought an absolute pup. I think we got absolutely mugged off. He's not the pedigree mongrel. He's a mongrel, not a pedigree dog. Um, that's that's the problem. All right, look, I, I agree with you. Everything you say, for me, I would have been happier if he'd have come and taken out the Southampton player and knocked him flying and given a penalty away more than the stop start. And then when he di- went back, he tries to use his feet rather than diving at people's feet with his arms. It's um, just not good enough. He's no. not good enough and you know 70 million quid or, or whatever let put that to one side just look at the player the, the player isn't good enough he doesn't have the confidence you know I don't think I've ever coated off an individual player like this for years and years and years and and I you know I, I, I there's an element of I feel sorry for him and that's why I say he needs to go because I think for him as much as anything he needs to go because at the moment he it's painful to watch painful yeah. to watch a, a, a player like him just go down the pan and I think he just needs to go somewhere else maybe to another country and rebuild everything um, and then we need to shake hands and, and, and part company I agree um, the last word from me on it is I do not understand how Frank picked him over Willie I don't rate Willie particularly but I do not understand it. And and that's that. All right. Well, look, we're going to go to the break and then we'll come back. We'll have one more little slight discussion about certain things and then we'll get all positive. We'll be back in a sec. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct... Something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen. Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike 
or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back. All right, Andy, the last negative thing, because there's a lot of great positive things to take from the game, but the last negative thing is the midfield. I'm still not happy about Kante and Jorginho together. And I think you texted me through the game is that we have no idea how to deal with it in midfield if they start pressing us. And to start with the first half hour, Jorginho had all the space that he wanted all the time, was left alone. And then Southampton got to grips with our midfield. And I thought Kante was chasing shadows all the time. Jorginho disappeared and there was no help in midfield. You've got Havertz making mistakes. Nobody seemed to... It it was like this sort of dead zone of football for us. Yeah, well, look, I think we have to look at the positives first. The first half, I thought it was excellent. I thought Jorginho was brilliant in the first half, but he wasn't pressed. But I think we have to give credit to Jorginho that, you know, when he had the ball, he used it very efficiently. His assist for the, you know, for the second goal was brilliant. Um, I thought he kept the tempo going. He did everything, you know, he could. You know, against a team that are going to play football, Jorginho is a really good option. Against a team that play a low block, maybe not so much. Uh, against a team that really press hard. You know, sometimes, but but possibly not, depending on on how they do it. I don't mind Jorginho being a lightning rod for the press, you know, and I don't mind that that, that you know people are going to press Jorginho because because theoretically that should free other people up, shouldn't it? Yeah. It should free up runners around him. If you're going to you know throw a load of attention on Jorginho, then that means there's going to be gaps elsewhere. So Jorginho playing that role where he's going to get you know double teamed or, or or man marked, you know, I think he's good enough on the ball to be able to play the simple ball. He's probably not going to play you the you know the, the the Hollywood or the the killer assist, but he's good enough to to, to be a pivot in midfield. Um, so I don't really have a problem with that. Problem I felt was that after the second, after the first half, where I thought we coped brilliantly and we coped with their counter brilliantly. I think in the second half, uh, Hassan Hootl, um, the, the, the Southampton manager, uh, did a very smart thing, which is he just flooded the midfield and pressed really hard and stopped us having time on the ball. That's what he should have done from the start. And, and we just didn't cope with it. And, and that was a midfield issue. That wasn't a Jorginho issue. It's kind of what you're saying, really. Nobody was able to sustain the energy and, and, and sustain the, the transitions you know, as well as they could do. And it's interesting because you used to watch Liverpool in the first season under Klopp. And the joke was that they would play, you know, absolute, you know, sort of heavy metal football, as they called it, for the first 50, 60 minutes. And then they would get gassed and they would run out of energy. And in the last 20 minutes of the game was when you were going to beat them because they were gassed. And I think we're at that stage at the moment where we play heavy metal football for the first 20, 30 minutes. Um, we we tend to take our gas off towards the uh, fit off the gas towards the end of the first half. That's when the errors happen. That's when the other teams get back in the game. And in the second half, we just don't seem to be able to kick on. And I think that we need to kind of build and progress through either fitness or tactical or, or, or tactical awareness uh, or game management awareness to be able to cope and play to the strengths that we have. And at the moment, yesterday, you're quite right. Midfield, particularly in the second and half might not might as well not have been there and it this is another point that i'd make about frank is that last season we saw him react to situations quite quickly he didn't react to this he didn't do anything to change that midfield particularly not until he brought reese james on when it was far too late to put him into a holding role I was also concerned because uh, I presume something was up with Kovacic because he wasn't even on the bench, although he did warm down with all the subs after the game. So, Well, I think he probably had a difficult, you know, he probably had three-game international week yeah. and we've got Sevilla on Tuesday, so that was probably the reason why he was rested. Look, I mean, I think that, you know, bringing, uh, you know, taking Mason Mount off was interesting after 72 minutes. I'm not sure I would have done that. I wouldn't have taken his energy off the field. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, you know, possibly bringing Giroud on to provide a bit of stability up there would have been something that might have been a better option. Couldn't really see the point of bringing Reese James on at that point. Uh, look, I, I just thought there were some interesting decisions. I, I think Frank was lost. I think he was so shocked 
at how badly we played that he slightly lost the plot tactically. Yeah. And 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 uh, you know we 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 were hanging on it as you quite rightly say at the end. I mean we had chances, we had chances you know throughout the game. I don't think there's any doubt that we're going to score a hatful of goals. That that we're going to create the the opportunities. Um, the question is is whether we're going to concede more. It's always going to be the question. So do you think that people like Kai Havertz will realise? how bad his mistake was because yeah. he I, I think he thought I've got more time I, th- I think it's the classic case of player comes from abroad where they're used to being able to do what he was trying to do in that situation in his own half but he got absolutely swamped and he tried to react it wasn't good enough Kante couldn't get there to save it and the first goal was scored I think Havertz, and, you know, maybe I'll be proved wrong. I really hope not. But Havertz looks like the kind of player who will take that in and he will learn from that because you don't get the time. Not in this league. No, I don't think any league presses as hard as the Premier League. I I, I think it's shocking for players that come from other leagues how hard the press is in the Premier League. Um, you know, Werner said said himself. You know that the you know the difference between Germany and the UK or the or the Premier League is that there are no bad players. There are there is nobody other than elite players in those teams. You know, you we look at the you know players in the Premier League and we say, well, he's not good enough and he's not good enough. But if you go pound for pound, player for player in every Premier League team, they're all good players. Um, there's no there's no weaknesses to the extent that there are in say Holland or Germany or France or to a degree the lower levels of Spain uh, and certainly Italy so I think that you know that that he's coming to the realization that he needs to think quicker move quicker move the ball quicker and you're right I think he'll learn from it listen I, I think that you know he's 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 an astonishing player and I think a hugely intelligent player if he doesn't learn from it I'll be I'll be completely flabbergasted I'm sure he will it was an error people make errors you know as long as you do, don't keep making the same error I think you've got to just draw a line under it and move on. Scored a goal, you know, redeemed himself. And I thought, you know, in the first half particularly, absolutely bossed it. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. Um, I was a, a, a little bit confused again by one of Frank's decisions in the fact that, for me, he played Mount and Pulisic out of position. Now, look, Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, Playing Pulisic was, on the right was weird. It was weird. And I wonder if that's not a touch of the Mourinho's about him. You know when Jose used to go, I'm going to play this guy not where he normally plays, I'm going to play him over here because I know something better than you do. And it just it just felt contrary. It didn't make sense, especially after the positions they've been playing in, you know, last week. So Mason Mount for, for England and things. It was an odd decision, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, it was. It was very odd, and and I'm not quite sure what he was trying to achieve with that, apart from to maybe double bluff the opposition manager who might have put a game plan in place for it. I mean, that's the only thing I can think, but I don't think he'll be doing that again. You know, Pulisic is brilliant on the left hand side. Leave him on the left hand side. Stop messing about with it. Yeah, I I think there is also a part of it because Mason Mount comes in so much from the left hand side. It drag players inside and leave space for for Chilwell to go down. But it doesn't make sense. We didn't make the most of Pulisic, who can be no. abs- can be devastating from the left-hand side. It, it was an odd decision. Maybe my only thinking about this is, Frank's thinking is, these players are so good up front that it doesn't matter where I start them because they'll be fluid. And so they'll rotate, they'll go where they want, they'll do it, they'll work it out between them. And maybe he left those decisions up to them. But I don't think it, I don't think it worked at all in that respect. It didn't, it, it didn't work. And I don't think you do that with players that haven't played together enough. I mean, that's fine. If you want to do that, you know, halfway through the season or in season two when they've played together, you know, if it's Firmino, Mane, Salah, you know, or, or you know, or, or whatever combination of players that Liverpool have up front. I mean, they've played together long enough now that you can almost say, all right, start here, but be fluid in your play. These players haven't played together enough. They don't know each other well enough yet. They don't understand each other's strengths and weaknesses yet. I mean, so I just thought it was a, a, a just a tactically naive thing to do. If it had worked, I guess we would have turned around and said that was a stroke of genius. But it didn't work, so you have to turn around and say it was tactically naive. So the the positive things we should move on to, because I, I, what we're saying at the moment is we are questioning Frank's thoughts about goalkeeper, 
Frank's thoughts about defence, Frank's thoughts about midfield, and Frank's thoughts about up front. Okay, there were things that we can take out that were positive. One was playing Werner through the middle, he had the least touches of anybody in the whole match. I think it was 32 touches. And yet, he was responsible for two of the goals and setting up the third. Um, he looked, he's looked great wherever he's played. He's looked to try and get in the game. But I thought he looked a different level playing through the middle. And for me, this is going to worry Tammy Abraham, I would have thought, and certainly worry Giroud. Giroud, I, I don't know, he will get 10 minutes here and there and maybe the odd cup game. But he looks right in the middle, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, he was dynamite. I mean, anybody that watched that game would, would say, you know, he was different gravy and, and you know, he should, that's where he should be playing. You know, he's a he's a goal-getter, a finisher. You know, he's got that, that you know, sort of, for want of a, you know, but he's got that kind of sniffer in the box, fox in the box, Robbie Fowler, finishing mentality, Michael Owen. He's got that, you know, that level of finishing ability. So you need to put him in positions where he's going to be able to, to do that. And I think that his two goals were wonderful. His first goal was one of the best goals I've seen scored for Chelsea for a very very long time I mean it's an absolute crying shame that there wasn't a crowd in the ground to see that because I just think it would have gone down as one of the great iconic goals it was brilliant I mean the, the, the dummy was out of this world his ability to you know to shepherd it across the face of the 18 yard box and he's finished with were all brilliant and his second goal his awareness his calmness look I just think he's going to be a devastatingly brilliant player for us um, he just needs everything to click around him for it to really go in. It was absolutely, you know, gobsmacked that he didn't get a hat trick, you know, um, and, and could have done. So I just think that, yeah, if you look at positives out of the game, he was it. Tammy being worried, good. I'm glad he's worried. Competition, raise your game. Giroud, I think he's realistic enough to know what his role in this squad is. His role is to come in as an impact sub, uh, you know, to come in and, 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 and close games out, to play in, in some of the, 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 the lesser games. He knows that. He, you know, at his age, with his experience, he's not expecting to start every game. Tammy Abraham, well, he's just got to work harder. Just got to work harder. Simple as that. Okay, and the other thing I'd say about Werner, not only was it a dummy, it was a dummy nutmeg. Yeah, I've brilliant. never, ever seen a dummy nutmeg. It was, in, it was just incredible. And, and it just showed that greed that you want. All that greed we never saw, say, from Hazard. You know, he would do mazy runs and things, but you never felt as though he was desperate to score. Werner, after... It, it was a very Hazard-like goal. It was. But, uh, you know, he didn't do it enough, is, is you know, what you're saying, really. Yeah, he didn't, and he wasn't you, didn't think that, you didn't think he ever thought, I am going to score the goals today. For Werner, I think if Chelsea win a game 5-0, he'd still be slightly upset if he only got three of them, if you know what I mean. Yeah. He wants to score. That's, that's what I'm saying. 32 no, he's touches. A, he's a killer. He's a killer. And, yeah. and I think that, you know, you're right to focus on that as a huge positive because I think that he's going to go on and score a ton of goals for us. Yeah, and he managed to get away with a handball. I texted you immediately and said, I think that was handball. And when you look at it, it is a handball, isn't it? Mm. VAR, thank you very much. Well, again, that's one That's one of those that's, uh, you know, open to interpretation, isn't it? You know, I don't mind that, the VAR thing. It's not immutable. You know, it's somebody interpreted as, didn't interpret that as handball. Fair enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was genius. It was genius. Every every moment of those two goals were genius. Uh, yeah. And I use that very lightly as a word about footballers. It gets bandied around about everybody. But he really already shows. And what I worry about is we need to make sure this side works for people like him, people like Havertz, people like Pulisic, probably people like Zayek. We'll see. You know, he looked ring rusty. But if we don't get this side right, all these players will end up at Real Madrid in the, uh, two years' time. And yeah, I, I mean, the, pro the problem is, you know, as I said earlier, we're going to score a lot of goals. I have no problem with that. The problem is when we go 2-3 up, he's then sitting there with, you know, clenched teeth going, when, when are we going to concede? You know, what we need to do is go with two or three games up. Well, we've won this. I'm going to go and make a cup of tea and sort of drift in and out of the game. I mean, that's, that's the feeling I want to have. I haven't had that feeling for a very long time. Under Mourinho, if you went two goals up, you knew you'd won. Yeah. There's no way you were going to concede three goals. No way in hell. And, and, and you just think every time we play at the moment, we could concede three, four goals. 
Yeah, and this is going to be the issue always, you know, until we've sorted out that defence. It doesn't matter what they do up the other end. And and it's all very well, Frank, coming out with these sweeping statements about the defence when he says, well, it's it's the whole team has to defend properly. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But It is when, true. That is very true. Yeah. You know, we are not a good team in terms of game management. That's what game management is. It's defending when you need to defend or understanding what your role is. And I, I put that down at Lampard. I mean, I put that on Lampard. It's like, what is the game management strategy when you're 2-0 up? What, I don't think there's enough of a strategy there that the players know exactly what to do in those situations. Do we attack? Do we defend? You know, where should we be? Are we narrow? Are we wide? I don't think those those things are discussed or, or communicated well enough to the players. And I, I put that on Lampard, and I think you defend as a team. Yeah, I think that's true. But if teams get through you, which they do, you need your defenders to be majestic, imperious. You need them to go, I can see what's happening here and deal with it. And you need them to be in the right position, Kerry. Yeah, of you, ne- you need them to, you know, to, you're quite right, to read the game properly. And, and of course, that's on the individual, that's on the individual defender. Um, but you should never be in a situation where it's down to it's down to you know sort of one person having to rescue it you should never put yourself in that situation you should always be solid enough defensively that there is cover for every potential scenario on the pitch yeah okay all right well that's southampton dealt with it's been it's been an interesting game and it sums up all our positives and all our negatives and mm. everything we love and everything we fear about this team at the moment so we got a, a a bit of a big week coming up. We've got um, the the um, Europa League champion Sevilla coming to Stamford Bridge uh, on Tuesday, and then we've got Man U away. This is a tough week. This is where we need Silver back and we need Mendy back, isn't it? I know yeah. that we might not have him for Sevilla, but this, this is an important week. This could speed up terrible things for Frank um, and it could also take a lot of pressure off this is the week he needs to manage this side isn't it yeah, I think it's a, a, a huge week on on all sorts of levels. I think it's a huge week for the for the club generally. You know, these are two big games. You need a good solid start in the Champions League if you're going to progress to the knockout stages, which has got to be, I think, our target this year. You know, it's not a difficult group uh, on paper, um, and if we can get to the knockout stages, I think that would be you know Frank's target on this. Uh, what we can't do is kind of fizzle out in the group stages and 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 you know lose silly games. Games, which, which is possible with this team. Let's be honest. Um, and Man United, who you know are you know not not a great Man United team at the moment. I mean, they 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 got a result yesterday, but they didn't look convincing. Um, they're a team that I think are probably in a similar situation to us, with a manager that's learning, with a team that hasn't quite gelled at the moment. I think it's going to be a really important game, and there will be a lot of pressure, huge amount of pressure on Frank Lampard to get that right tactically, to pick the right team and for individual players to perform so I think it's a a massive week for us my fear is finding out that either Silver isn't up to it anymore or that he gets injured and we have to keep on playing rocky defenses if that then all bets are off we would really be in big trouble for the moment we are relying on a 36 year old to hold that team defensively together along Mm -hmm. with a keeper behind him all right well look a keeper uh, that's only played one game exactly who we're still hoping is the new messiah (laughs) yeah and and so there's you know there's a lot of variables you know i think the next podcast that we do Next week is going to be really, really interesting. And it's going to be, you know, I think we're, it's it's going to be very binary. We're either going to be really happy and, and pleased that progress is being made, or we're going to be really having to look hard at the role of Frank Lampard and certain members of this team. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, th- I think it's going to be a real litmus test next week. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, look, let me have your predictions then for these two difficult, difficult games. I think we can beat both of these teams. 
I genuinely do. I think, uh, I don't know an awful lot about, I'm not a severe expert, but from what I do know is they like to play football. They like to get out and, and, and play. And I think against teams like that, they leave gaps at the back, which our huge amount of firepower we have up front at the moment can exploit. So I think we can score goals, and I'm just hoping that with a little bit more solidity in defence, we can concede less. So I think there will be goals in the game, but I think I'm going to go 3-1 Chelsea for Sevilla. I think Man United, we can win and we should win. I just don't think they're better than us. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go confidently 2-0 into that one. Oh, I love your predictions. Um, okay, well I'm going to go for 4-2. Chelsea against Sevilla. Oh, I don't think my heart could take that. (laughs) (laughs) No, and we'll probably be two goals down for a change or something. Something weird. It won't be straightforward, that's all I know. Um, And United away, um, I can see that being a draw. I'm going to go for 2-2. Okay. Um, That's it, really. Okay, well, look, we, we set into this week with feet firmly trepidatious and wondering how we're going to come out of it. And I think you're right. Next week will be interesting. All right, Andy, um, how can people get in touch with us as usual? Yeah, if you want to um, get in touch, probably best to do it through social media. So uh, you can follow us on Twitter at, at Chelsea Podcast. DMs are open there if you want to DM us uh, or make any comments uh, about what you've heard. Um, Instagram is at the Chelsea podcast. Um, if you want to follow me, you can follow at Mr. A Saunders. If you want to follow Kerry, you can follow at Kerry Levy, which is C E R I L E V Y. That's Twitter. Uh, and on Instagram, I am at one true Saunders and Kerry is at Kerry Levy one. That's your, that's all your handles. Perfect. Well handled. Um, all right, Andy. Well, look, have a great week. Uh, thanks, as always. Great to chat to you and go through it all. Let's hope we are full of the joys of football next week. All right, mate. See you soon. Take care. Bye. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.